Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Well, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and you'll find it on page 978, page 978 in the Church Bibles. I would encourage you this morning, however you normally follow along, to use the Church Bible at a later point in our service. We're going to read a passage out loud together, and it might just help you to have that uh, handy, have it with you already. Ephesians chapter 4, page 978 verses 17 to 24. Some of you will remember we looked at this not too long ago. Uh, the, the, the passage and what I'm going to say this morning will be familiar uh, to some of us already, but will be new for others. And so let's hear God's word together. Paul, the apostle says, now I say, this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. I want you to notice that word minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, you were taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Just flick forward a couple of pages. I think it might just be one page in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. Here is the verses that we were going to look at this morning. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's interesting, friends, in both passages there is this focus on the mind, Have you ever ever wondered what it takes to get people who are of different minds to come to be of the same mind? We know what that's like, don't we, in in home life, in church life. People are, one person thinks this way, someone thinks a different way. Ten people don't agree. How do you get people who do not agree to all be of the same mind? Do you know what the answer is? You give all of them a different mind. You give them all a different mind. The mind of Christ. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at this change of mind that God has given to all of us. 
I just recently picked up this new book by Kevin DeYoung. It's the title of my sermon this morning. The book is called Do Not Be True to Yourself, Countercultural Advice for the Rest of Your Life. Listen to this. Twenty years ago, a woman named Anna Quindlin, a writer for the New York Times, a Pulitzer Prize winner, and a recipient of prestigious honorary degrees, gave this advice to a group of children graduating from high school, so secondary school age, sixth form children. Here's what she said to them. Each of you is as different as your fingertips. So because you are different, why should any of you march to any lockstep? Our love of lockstep is our greatest curse, marching together the same. It is the source of all that bedevils us. It is the source of homophobia, xenophobia, racism, sexism, terrorism, bigotry of every variety and hue, because it tells us that there is only one right way to do things, one right way to look, to behave, to feel, when in fact, the only right way is to feel your heart hammering inside you and to listen to what its beat is saying. Here's Kevin DeYoung's book, I Would Like to Offer You Different Advice. Do not follow your dreams. Do not march to the beat of your own drummer. And whatever you do, do not be true to yourself. Whatever you do, do not be true to yourself. I want to show you something this morning, friends, very beautiful from these few verses in Ephesians chapter 4. And it's simply this, the you that you want to be is not found in you, but is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The you that you want to be, the best you that you can be, is not found in you, but is found in Jesus. If you want new life, full life, if you want to be new on the inside, if you want to be full and complete, if you want to be a mature human being, you do not need to improve you. You don't need to fine-tune you or finesse you. No, you need a new you. If two people are fighting and you cannot get them to have the same mind on things, you need to give them both a different mind. A new mind. Give to two warring people together the mind of Christ. Friends, here's the truth for us this morning. The Bible never says to us that the Lord Jesus saves us from our sins by paying the penalty for them on the cross. And once he's done that, now you just crack on. You, 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 you press on to glory yourself. No. His love for us is so much greater than that, so much deeper than that. He, he wants to transform us. The love, of the, the love of the Lord Jesus for his people is like, like this. Let me illustrate it like this. Some of you in this room have lived through the terrible experience of trying to make a little boy wear a coat outside. Have you ever tried, have you ever tried to do that? Do you know what the definition of a coat is? A coat is what a little boy wears when his mum is cold. And his mum says, look, it's cold out there. I, I, you put, put this on. You need, you need to wear this. No, he says, I'm fine. And off he goes into the world being true to himself, 
being the best version of himself. Off he goes into the world, him doing him. And what happens in an hour's time? He's freezing. He's shivering. And the parent comes alongside him and says, Here, wear this. Takes off their own coat and puts it round his shoulders and gives it to him to wear. Put this on. Brothers and sisters, I want to show you this morning, that is how the Lord Jesus loves us. That is how the Lord Jesus loves you. He, he gives to his people his very self. And well, the language here in Ephesians, he says, put this on. Wear this. Wear me. Put me on. Let, let, let me just show you here in this passage. Have it open in front of you. Ephesians 4, verse 17. He, here's the logic of it. Everybody in this world is wearing one of two things, okay? You're, you're either this morning wearing yourself. You're you being you. Or you have put off your old self. You've taken it off. Do you see it? Verse 22, put off your old self. Verse 24, put on the new self. You've, you've either taken off your old you and you've put on the new you or you're still wearing the old you. See, see, the, see the clothing metaphor at the heart of our passage, putting on, putting off. That's what you do with a jumper or a coat. Paul is saying here in verses 17 to 19, I want you to remember what you once were. You, you used to live for you. But, verse 20, look at, that, look at that contrast that comes halfway through our passage, but. It, it's a contrast word. That is what you once were. It's what you once were. The old self. But, verses 20 to 24, your new self. I think I've told you before, haven't I, about Thomas Goodwin, a Puritan theologian. He, he gave us the most wonderful picture. Goodwin says, imagine two giants standing before God. There are two giants standing before God, Adam and Christ, and each, each man represents two different groups of people, each giant. And each giant has a large belt around his waist with tiny hooks, and everybody who has ever lived is hanging on one of those belts. On Adam's belt are all those who are still dead in their trespasses and sins. But on Christ's belt are all those who have been justified by faith in him. One theologian put it like this, when you received the Lord Jesus as your savior, when you received him, you were involved in a massive and a momentous transfer. God himself unhooked you from Adam's belt unhooked you from Adam and hooked you onto Christ's belt. And so now you have a different head, a different mediator, a new representative. You have passed from Adam into Christ. The very essence of the Christian life is simply living out Christ's life now, in you and for you, and through you. I wonder if you notice that there is only one command in our passage this morning, one imperative. Verse 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You, you must 
no longer do this. Coming to Christ means that lifestyle choices change. What, what you wear changes. That how we live is not pick and mix. See the words? You must no longer. And, and look how the must is given. Paul says, not just that you must do this, but I say this and I testify in the Lord that this is the way it should be. To, to, to testify is a legal word. It's, it's I'm in court and I'm swearing to give the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And Paul is testifying in the Lord. In, in other words, friends, what Paul says, he's saying, Jesus says. Do you, you see it? What I am saying, Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You must. I must. I want to ask you this morning, from verse 17, I want to ask you if you have a must Jesus or only a maybe Jesus. I want to ask you if you have a must Bible or only a maybe Bible. And if you feel like it, Bible. If you want to, Bible. Or a must, Bible. Somebody has said there are some things in the Bible that are hard to understand. It's true, isn't it? But there are other things in the Bible that are hard to misunderstand. And yet we do our best, don't we? Maybe, Lord. Maybe I'll follow you in that area. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that bit, Lord. Do, do you mind if I just ignore it and leave it? I'll come back to it in a few years. No, no, no Paul says coming, coming to the Lord Jesus means we must leave certain things behind. So just look, look with me at the way Paul describes what we once were. Look at verses 17 to 19. And notice how Paul is saying that in the old self way of life, the mind plays a part. Do you see that in the verse? In the unconverted life, the Gentile way of life, notice the intellectual factor, the thinking part of how people live. Look how he draws attention to the futility of their minds, darkened in their understanding. And he says this alienation from God is because of ignorance that is in them. Do you see it? Empty minds, darkened understanding, inward ignorance. And one of the marks of the non-Christian world, the, the world that is hooked onto Adam's belt, one of the marks is the anti-Christian mind, isn't it? Isn't that right? You know that, you see that, don't you, all around you, the, the great professors of the university who hate the gospel. Your friend who says to you that to become a Christian is to commit intellectual suicide. Convince me, she says. Prove it to me. Prove it to me that it's right. Now here's a surprise. Why is the mind dark? Why is the mind dark? What does Paul say? Why is the ignorance there? Can you see it in the text? It's very clear, isn't it? You see where all the intellectual opposition to God in the non-Christian world, you see where it comes from? Do you see how Paul puts it in verse 18? Darkened in their understanding, 
alienated because of ignorance. Why? Due to hardness of heart. Ah, hardness of heart. The heart. The heart speaks a language like nothing else. See, the, the unbeliever says they reject the gospel out of intellectual honesty. The apostle Paul says, no, you reject the gospel because of the rebellious disposition of your heart. And it is your heart that is driving and directing your understanding, not the other way around. It's who you love and what you love that shapes what you think and what you believe, not the other way around. Or in Paul's language here, it is who you're wearing that dominates your whole life. Verse 22 Coming to Christ means putting off your your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt. Notice, it is corrupt through deceitful desires. If, If your desires are corrupt, then your mind will be corrupt. It's where it all comes from, isn't it? Verse 19, sensuality, greed, impurity, all of these things. Friends, what what a picture of what not to wear. What a picture of who not to be. What a picture, verse 19, is of life without Christ, of what we once were. Well, one commentator has said that the old wardrobe, the things that we used to wear, what we were because of who we wore, was hardness of heart that led to darkness of mind and deadness of spirit and therefore recklessness of life. Isn't that the wardrobe of the world? Hardness of heart, darkness of mind, deadness of spirit, recklessness of life. Now here's another surprise. I think this is the biggest surprise in the whole passage for us this morning. What changes all of that? Verse 20, the, the, the contrast, but what changes a person like that? What are the options? An argument? A debate? No. Look. Look what changes it in verse 20. A person. A person changes it. But all of these things, verse 19, verse 20, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. Look what Paul says happened to these Ephesians to move them from empty minds to full minds. I want us to grasp this, friends. Verse 20 is so odd. Look, Paul says, you know what changed you? You learned Jesus. You learned Christ. Friends, Paul does not say you learned about Christ. No, he literally says, do you know what changed you? Do you remember? You learned a person. You learned the Lord Jesus. You came face to face with him. Now look at verse 21. Yes, yes, there is an intellectual, mental, cognitive aspect to it. Verse 21 says you weren't converted through looking at pictures of Jesus. No, someone did tell you about him. Someone spoke the truth about him to you. Somebody had to use words to teach you. But what you learned was a person. Not merely propositions, not merely facts. You learned a person. 
Can I put it like this? It, it was like falling in love. So some of us in the room, that's happened to us. Some, some it hasn't happened yet. It may be hard to grasp. But many of you know this or, or can, re, can remember this. Now, let me put it like this. Men, if you're married, I hope you do not just know about your wife. I hope you know your wife. You see, afterwards in coffee time, you can tell me about her until the cows come home and I can learn about her. But you have learned her, haven't you? I know what many of us are thinking. It's been 30 years. I still haven't learned her. Still haven't worked her out. She's thinking that about you, trust me. But, but, but we know the difference, don't we? The, the, the heart-to-heart knowledge of a person. The, the ability to be out for an evening and just know whether you're still friends or not at the end of it. That, that, that sense of who somebody is. That this is the language of heart-to-heart change, isn't it? And, and what we learn about the Lord Jesus, friends, verse 20 onwards, what we learn is that he wants to undress us and clothe us. He wants to change every part of us from the inside out. He wants to change our minds. He wants to change our desires. He wants to change our hearts. He wants to change what we love. If I could put it like this, the Lord Jesus wants to dress you and me in himself so that that is like putting on a new self. Verse 24, he wants to make make you the man or woman you were always meant to be the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Oh, there is not a new you in you. Do you see it? No, there was a dead you in you, a hard you in you, a dark you in you, a reckless you in you. There is not a new you in you, but there is a new you in Jesus, Paul is saying. Isn't it beautiful? You're stuck with some of my favorite illustrations from old time. Do you remember Eustace? The Chronicles of Narnia, Eustace, so beautiful in the voyage of the Dawn Treader. Do you remember him? By this stage, Eustace is vain, cowardly, obnoxious, and and he finds some enchanted gold. And because of what happens in his heart, as he lies on this gold and sleeps on it, he, he wakes, noticing he has turned into a dragon. It's, it's a mesmerizing sequence in the story. Aslan the lion rescues him. What he does is he takes Eustace the dragon to a garden where, where there is a well, and he, he tells Eustace to bathe in the well. But first he must undress. And so the lion scratches off Eustace's scales. One by one they come off. Or, or so Eustace thinks the scales are just coming off, but actually he's, the lion is peeling off his outer skin. Peels off layer after layer, but still he's wearing the dragon's hide, layer after layer. And every time he goes down into the well to bathe, he's got no further. He's still a dragon. And then the lion says, you will have to let me undress you. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Then he got 
hold of me and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone. And then I saw why I had turned into a boy again. And after a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me in new clothes. Brothers and sisters, do do, do you know how beautiful the Lord Jesus is? Can you see who he is? Do you see how Jesus can change us? Let me put it like this. Do you know why the Lord Jesus was born of a virgin? Do you know why we celebrate that at Christmas time? Why it matters so much, born of a virgin? It's because in the Lord Jesus, in his birth, God was going right back to the beginning again. He was putting into the world a new Adam, a a true man, the perfect image, the, the perfect person, verse 24, created after the likeness of God, the exact likeness of God. Jesus is born of Mary so that his humanity is true. He really is a man, but he's born of God so that his humanity is new. He's not tainted with Adam's sin. There's no sin in his flesh. His human nature is not a fallen human nature. And so God has sent into the world, in Jesus, a man who has done everything the first man was meant to do. So beautiful that there is no stain in Jesus' soul. No fracture in his personality. There is nothing in verses 17 to 19, nothing in verses 17 to 19 that describes Jesus in any way. Nothing in that list of things where he could say, yep, I know what that's like. I've done that. Paul says to us this morning, have you learned him? Have you learned him? Do do you know him? Are you wearing him? I want want to simply finish with a, a range of questions for us this morning. If you have put on the Lord Jesus, do you know what the Bible says? If you have put him on in becoming a Christian, the Bible says to us this morning, wear him. If you've put him on, wear him. If you have put on the new self, you know what the Christian life is, then put on the new self. Be who you are. If you are wearing Jesus' righteousness, if you're clothed in his holiness, then dress yourself in those things. Clothe yourself in them every day. I guess for some of us, this is really unusual language, isn't it? Putting on Christ, but I'm not, I'm not inventing this. I'm not making this up. Romans chapter 13, verse 14, Paul says explicitly, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But put him on. Climb inside who he is and let every part of his life cover your life. Wear him. In just a few weeks, some of our students will graduate, won't, won't they? And they go up onto a stage, they walk across you, you, you doff your head and someone touches it and you leave different. And what do students do in that moment? They wear the colors of the university, don't they? And from that moment onwards, those robes are yours. You can wear them whenever you like. 
They're yours. You, you, you have the university's colors given to you. Many of us here in this room were baptized many, many years ago as infants. In that moment, you put on Christ. You were, you were washed in him, dressed in him. Let me ask you today, if that's you, are you wearing him? It's a bit of a strange question, isn't it? Are you wearing Jesus? So he, here's what it means. Can somebody look at the Lord Jesus? Can somebody look at Christ and then look at you and see, hang on, you're identical. You, you look the same. You, you sound the same. You live the same. You talk the same. That's what it means to wear him. If you've put him on, he should be seen by all the world. Or are you embarrassed to be seen in Jesus? I, I reckon one of the most embarrassing things I could ever do right now in life is to tell my children that I'm coming to the Saturday night party with them. Not just because of the dad jokes, not just because of all the things that would go wrong, but because of what I'm wearing. It's embarrassing to be seen out with you, Dad. Look what he's wearing. Is that what we're ever like with Christ, dressed in him? Beauty, perfection, covered from head to toe in his perfect life, and yet embarrassed to be seen out in him? Some of us, verses 17 to 19, not all of us, but some of us, so beautiful. Some of us today, 17 to 19, was our story, wasn't it? That we really did walk as the Gentiles do. That, 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 that word walk, it's a metaphor for lifestyle, isn't it? And some of us here today, at some point in the past, we were right in the thick of life like that, away from God. We got up each day and we, we wore ourselves with pride. And then we reach verse 20, but in God's amazing kindness, he did what Aslan did to Eustace. He threw us into the water and washed us and dressed us. Let me ask you too, if that's you today, are you still wearing him? So that people say, oh, there's you and there's Jesus, but it's hard to tell you apart. You're so like him. It's the amazing thing about clothes, isn't it? Even when we want to be unique and treated as an individual, we want to say, I'm different. We, we all follow fashions, don't we? Look at any group of university students or teenage boys or teenage girls. In all their individuality, they're all dressed the same. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, watch a group of Christians in church. Watch a group of Christian people in church. What should we say they're all dressed the same. Oh, they're all different. Different nationalities, different races, different genders, different stages of life, different economic status, and they all look the same. Clothed in Christ. They're all wearing Jesus. They sound like him. They, they, they live like him. They, they love like him. You're in Romans 13 when Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ Immediately he says, put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh. Do you know what it's like to say, I'll, I'll wear you, Jesus, but I'll just keep a little bit of me. 
I'll wear a bit of Jesus and still wear a bit of me. No, says Paul, don't do that. Clothe yourself in Christ. So what I want to do as we finish, verse 25, I want you to find Ephesians 4, verse 25 in the church Bible. And we're going to read these verses together down to the end of verse 32. And then we'll simply finish at the end with just a brief moment of quiet. What does it look like to wear the Lord Jesus? Here is his uniform. Here is what it actually looks like. Here's what you will need to take off this week. And here's what you can put on instead. And as we read these verses out loud together, perhaps there'll be one or two things that you think, yeah, I'm still wearing that. That needs to go. And so we'll pause and individually ask God to help us to change our wardrobe. So let's read verse 25. Here is the application. You see the word therefore? Here is the application of all of this. Let's read together. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you.